from going from BIC to Tesla was about a 25% pay decrease. My goal was to do something marketing related at at, at a major company, or at least in a major way at a company. But that fire burning in my soul was so deep for electric cars. Having tried to build one at 14, I had to work at Tesla. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu. And thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I have the pleasure of interviewing John Rokos, who is the founder, CEO, and product architect of Emnitree, a California-based technology startup whose products are wide-reaching experiments in hardware, software, and services that positively impact people's lives. Previously, John spent nearly six years at Tesla Motors, leading teams and internally innovating in areas like operations, sales, delivery, customer service, and marketing. This created an even deeper passion for startups that was already so strong, it pulled John to the West Coast. It gave him a profound appreciation for the incredible people who sacrificed so much to make a product and company great. Prior to that, John not only built a very strong business and operations foundation by working at BIC Consumer Products. BIC is the company that produces pens, notepads. You probably use a BIC pen more often than you think, but yeah, they're a pretty huge company. And he learned the roots of quality, systems, process, and execution, but also dove deep into the practical and theoretical details of business. In addition to building products now, John is also an active angel investor, as well as a mentor and advisor to several startups and entrepreneurs. He was actually a very, very early angel investor in the holy grail of startups, Gimlet Media. And we talk a lot about that during this episode. All right, let's jump into the action. So John, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So historically, when you were out and about, how did you introduce yourself to people? Yeah, that one usually depends on the company that I'm in. Uh, I'll, I'll say just for simplicity's sake, sake, let's say, you know, I'm around investors or startups and that type of stuff. And usually I introduce myself as a startup founder and an angel investor. And that's it. Just got to keep it very, very simple in that way. Um, now, if if people need a little bit more establishment of background, uh, skills, experience, connections, that type of stuff, then I may dig a little bit deeper and talk about, you know, having previously worked at uh, big consumer products or at Tesla, obviously Tesla is a, is a big grabber. And then if you're, I'm in company that, you know, nobody really cares about that type of stuff. Cause like, everybody's from Tesla, Google, Facebook, whatever. Maybe I'll, I'll layer on one additional piece of my background as a professional freestyle BMX bike rider back in the day. And that one also, uh, usually if, if, if all else fails, we'll, we'll jumpstart some, uh, interesting conversations because of its, uh, uh, uniqueness. Yeah. It's very, <laughs> it's definitely up there in terms of like unique early life Yes. Because like uh, I had someone else a few weeks ago, and his early life before he was an investor, he was in a boy band. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so I don't know who, who Trump's who in this situation, but they're easily yes. as, as incredible and interesting and unexpected. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So before we talk about the angel investing and, uh, and the startup stuff, let's talk about early life. So, so how did you get involved in tech? And, um, you know, what was kind of like your trajectory from, I guess, like college um, up until now? Sure. And maybe I'll start a little bit before that, because there's kind of an early story that leads to Tesla. So I'll start with right around when I was 14. Because, <clears throat> um, you know, at 15, at least in the US, you can get a learner's permit to drive a car. So I kind of started, you know, getting into the idea, being excited about the idea of like driving cars and getting into cars. Yeah. But um, my mom, uh, you know, a single parent household. So it was just me and my mom, uh, or, and eventually me and my mom and my grandmother, when she got older, my mom, uh, took care of her at the end of her life. So, uh, at that age and, and mom was very socially conscious, uh, especially about the environment and that type of stuff. So that's kind of the house that I was raised in. So <clears throat> I'm 14, I'm thinking about, you know, cars and, oh man, I'm going to be 15. And I'm like, well, I don't want a regular car. I want an electric car. So how can I build an electric car? And kind of took my mom on and she's amazing and supported all my, my weird ideas and, and, pathways that I kind of went down. So and right around when I was 14, I spent about nine months uh, researching what it would take to build an electric car. Basically, uh, we were living in the Washington, D.C. area at the time. And I joined the Washington area electric vehicle group uh, as a 14-year-old. I think I only ended up going to one of their events. but And I also... I actually very specifically wanted an electric sports car. So the original idea was to get the, I can't remember what the, this small two, two door Honda, um, Civ, not civic, but anyway, and you could get like the Lamborghini kit for it. And then I wanted to, that to be electric. And by Whoa. the end of this nine, nine month journey, that was the, again, that was the dream, right? Cause I was like, you know, hundred percent, this is what I want to do. Let's do this. Like, you know, let's, let's, let's max it out. And if I need to reel it back, sure. But let's, let's go for the, my, my ultimate dream electric sports car. And at the end of this nine month journey, after talking to everybody and doing all the research, I went to a, a shop that specialized in kit cars and asked them questions, the whole thing and put the list together. It was going to be $40,000 for a really, really bad electric car that maybe got 40 miles and was going to just get worse and worse. I don't want to say quickly necessarily, but kind of quickly. So that kind of broke my heart. And I remember my mom said, you know, the, the following week or two, I was just like kind of pretty bummed about it. And she's like, well, what, if you want to get around environmentally, why don't you just, why don't you get a bike? And I'm like, hey, I don't want, I don't want a stupid bike, you know, whatever. <laughs> and a week later after sitting in that, I was like, mom, can you take me to the bike shop? She's like, sure. And you know, and she wasn't going to buy me a bike. I still had to save up for it. But you know, and, and again, you know, I couldn't imagine saving up and spending $40,000 for an electric car, let alone, I could barely at 14, imagine saving a thousand dollars at that point in time, but a few hundred bucks for a bike, went to the bike shop. And then, and that's kind of what got me into bikes. And I just rode everywhere. And by the time I got a car at 17 or 18, many years later, um, it, all I wanted to do was go to bike races and bike events. So the kind of the, the electric car thing kind of went into the background because it was just the technology wasn't there yet. And, and just, there just wasn't, there were a lot of hobbyists and stuff that existed in little tiny micro pockets, but there was nothing major going on. So it kind of faded to the back of my memory. 
and then I just kind of was super into bike riding and then, you know, um, was super into that kind of almost didn't go to college cause I wanted to pursue the bike thing, but there was something just nagging at me like, no, like get, get your education first. If you go to college, get your education, you have earned the right after you're done and you graduated to, to do what you want. So if you, at, 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 when you're done, if you want to pursue that, go for it. So, uh, went to college, did that whole thing was riding bikes the whole time. But, uh, in high school, I would say I wasn't a very good student. Um, I just didn't care. I had ADHD. I'm not like saying that like people are like, Oh, I have ADHD. Like, no, no, like diagnosed. I had ADHD, but at that point in time, you know, they didn't just pump you full of drugs and say, here's the answer. I, I'd say, luckily, they were just like, oh, here's the diagnosis. Have a nice day. And that, and that was kind of it. Uh, no, so yeah. it was like, you have it, but there's nothing to help you with it. Mm. So it was like, okay, cool. So, you know, uh, went about my merry way. And um, at the end of high school, as I was trying to get in college, so my senior year, I, I wasn't getting in anywhere my, cause my grades were atrocious in high school. So basically my, my senior year, I, I all, got almost straight A's because I just suddenly that just, that just kicked me in the butt and, and, and got me to realize like, Oh, if that's what you want to do, if that's, you know, you want to have that as a, as a fallback, you want to have that education as the fallback. If the bike riding thing doesn't work, you still got a lot of work to do on the, you know, the bike riding side to kind of master your craft in that area. So go to college, do the two at the same time and, and go. And, and that, like I said, that kick in the pants of not really getting into any schools, uh, during the senior year, I like, I just, I really, it really allowed me to focus better than I ever have on school. Did really good that senior year, had to go to community college for a, a, a year after that, because again, my grades in high school were just awful, but again, straight A's through community college, got accepted into a college four-year college, did that whole thing nearly straight A's through that. Because again, I was very focused and still splitting my time, you know, putting the time into bike riding, but college was the primary focus. And then after that, I graduated from college and I was like, I'm still in love with this idea of bike riding. At that point in time, I had transitioned from kind of the mountain road bike racing that I was doing, um, in high school and kind of got burned out on that after having some sponsors and just going to a lot of things and transitioned into BMX and in particular freestyle BMX and just the, you know, with, with mountain bike and road bike racing, it's like start line, finish line go as hard as you can, whatever. And there wasn't a lot of creativity in that. So when I got burned out on it and kind of took a break at kind of the end of that, I was starting to get into BMX because I was like trying to use it as cross training for, for mountain bike stuff like downhill or dual slalom, or even just cross country and building skills in general. And as I got burned out on the mountain and road, the creativity, the, just the open canvas that mm. was freestyle BMX. Just, I fell in love with it. And that to this day is still my, my number one love. I, I probably do more mountain and road biking than BMX these days. Um, but any chance I get to go to the skate park and ride BMX that, that create the creative juices of how to use the ramps and the bike and, and doing tricks and stuff just really pulled me in. So yeah, after college, I, I pursued that hardcore I ended up working at a place called Woodward, which, uh, was the largest, action sports, um, uh, largest skate park in the world. 
nestled in Pennsylvania uh, amongst uh, Amish farms, <laughs> kind of somewhat in the middle of nowhere, but they were about uh, half an hour down the road from Penn State. And once I did that, I did that for many years and kind of finished up my career and found myself for uh, uh, this is approximate because there's no like international or international listing. So uh, my approximations were about 14th in the world in the discipline of vert. There are several, a bunch of disciplines between street, park, flatland, dirt jumping, and vert. And uh, vert in particular, um, I ended up about 14th in the world. And just judging that the world ranking by missing the X Games by four places, because at that point in time, they took 10 riders and I missed it by four spots. So mm-hmm. they quote unquote, say 14th ish in the world. And at that point in time, I was, you know, I'm riding with Jamie Bestwick, Chad Kagi, Kevin Robinson. I mean, some of the top riders of the world because they lived in the area because Woodward was the place to go to, uh, to, to master your craft, basically in, in those particular disciplines, as well as skateboarding and, and inlining and a bunch of other stuff. And camp actually originally started off as a gymnastics camp. So half of camp did that as well, which for a boy girl interactions was a, another wonderful reason to, to be at a place like that. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of, after that, that miss of the X games and, and riding with people who were truly talented, I, I found myself on the discipline side of things, very strong on the raw talent for the sport. Good, which made me very good, Mm. but not great. And to be in one of those top 10 spots to make it to the X games, get the sponsorship dollars and all that stuff to, to afford and live life that's where you needed to be. And, you know, what I would see, you know, one of these guys learn in one, you know, session that we would ride together would take me a week to learn. So, and not that I necessarily kept falling further and further behind, but it just kind of made it so that, you know, if there were at least 10 people in the world who were that good, they were always kind of going to be that good. And especially you call it the top two or three people who had the talent and the work ethic. Um, so the, the Jamie Bestwick's, the Matt Hoffman's, and I was like, okay, like I love the sport. I love riding, but I need to do something else. And wow. that's after talking to some, some mentors and my family and some friends, um, my love of business kind of had always been there. So the suggestion to go back, uh, get my master's degree, get an MBA, uh, was kind of the way to go. And I looked at a whole bunch of schools and and the one that really, and, and thankfully, cause it was right down the road was Penn state and uh, I got into their program and, uh, yeah, went through that. And then after that, uh, got a job at Bic consumer products. I ended up being the product manager, uh, for whiteout, um, which, uh, may sound, uh, uh, a little bit random and boring, but it was an incredible, <laughs> incredible, incredible learning experience. I can imagine that being like, you know, you've gone from like, BMX freestyle riding, like daredevil jumps, all this kind of stuff. They're like working in, in a in an office and a desk. Yes, job. Like, yeah. Well, that was it, like it, drastic difference, right? 
It was, it was. And I think luckily the two years of the MBA program helped with that transition because uh-huh. I, when I was done kind of, again, not riding, cause I still, I still ride BMX to this day as well as other bikes, but yeah. in terms of competitive professional stuff, when I had made the decision to, to be done and find what was next, um, I, I found myself very lost, you know, when, when your personality and your identity and your world is tied to something so strongly. And you hear this from startup founders. Well, you know, somebody leaves Twitter or Facebook or Google or whatever. And that was just, that was everything to them, especially if they were a founder or an early employee, it was everything to them. And then to wake up the next day and find yourself not that, um, is very tough. And, uh, I, I feel like, uh, people in the, the entrepreneurial startup VC community in particular, Brad Feld, uh, he talks a lot about um, uh, mental well-being, uh, in particular in the startup space. Yeah. And so this was kind of the first taste of that for me. It was, who am I without without bike riding as as this focus? Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, you know, uh, luckily, you know, having a lot of you know, people that I could talk to about it. Again, the mentors, the friends, the family, and then kind of constantly pointing out, like you've always been in the business. You're always in the business, like maybe check that out. Maybe check that out. Oh, there, you know, like what would, what would be the next step? Well, if you're kind of not finding, you know, Oh, I want to do this one thing, like go get yourself educated. So thus that leading to the MBA program. And in that MBA program, I, I kind of still felt that where like I was used to, you know, being active, like intensely active six to eight hours a day to then be sitting behind a laptop, taking notes in a class. Um, that was quite the transition, but again, you know, and you know, still doing my best to kind of be active outside of that, but obviously not, not at the level I was. So that was a good transition. And I wasn't used to like, you know, uh, dressing formally either. Um, that, that was another struggle for me. So, so luckily the, the MBA program really, they're there to help you through that. And, and some people come in and they had, you know, they've worked professionally before. So it's at least on, on like the, the dressing up and, and, you know, putting a tie on, I had never tied a tie in my life at, you know, th- those type of things I, I struggled through. And I had that two year period to learn, to have my mind expanded and to have people guide me through it. Yeah. And literally I had, we had like mock interviews this one time and I ran into the, the MBA office you know, with my suit that I had bought, you know, three days before and sneakers on because I couldn't find shoes. And, um, and with like, I'm like, I don't know how to tie a tie, you know? And they're like, calm down. We'll help you. Boom. Slit over this. Boom, boom, boom. Here you go. Good luck on your interview. And, you know, even in that situation, I'm like, oh, they didn't notice the shoes and on the feedback form immediately after, you know, the next day that I received, it's like, didn't have professional shoes. It's like, <laughs> you, you start, you know, and you're, you're thinking that, uh, people aren't picking up on these things, on these, on these details. And they are, they constantly are. And so, like I said, I had that two year experience in kind of a a safe space, if you will, of school, you know, it was super tough, super challenging, all that stuff, but I was able to kind of work all that stuff out. And then, you know, I didn't jump straight from the MBA program into BIC. I had a year and a half of not being able to get a job. I, I lived at the in the apartment that I rented, um, basically across the street from the program uh, from Penn State. And I mean, 
talked to every person I could, like networked other people's networks, friends of friends, family members that I didn't even know existed, like everything, trying to 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 get a a job, basically. That you know, I I, I had no thoughts that I deserved anything because now I have an MBA. Oh, I, where's the president's job? That you know, no, no, no. I knew it was going to be entry level ish, but still. I, I wanted it to be professional and I didn't want it. And people ask me even in the MBA program, like, Oh, are you going to go back and do something in the bike space? And I was like, no, no. Like I lived all of that. It was wonderful. I, I want to really stay in love with it. So I want to stay away from it. At least I don't want to work behind the scenes. doesn't mean I never will or anything in the future, but I wanted to, to, to develop somewhere else. So it took a, a year and a half and uh, just uh, luckily, uh, a, a at about the year and a half point in time, um, a previous alum from the MBA program said, "Oh, you know that I had connected to uh, through a mentoring program that they had at Penn State." Was like, "Hey, my I think it was his brother worked at Bic, and was like, we can get your there. My brother just told me about this job. We can get your." resume in front of somebody, see if anything works out. And the next thing I knew I was being interviewed. And the reason that they chose me, that they, they told, told me that they chose me other than having all the basics, right? I had the education and all kinds of stuff was my international work experience. Wow. What was that? Was that, what was that international work experience that was traveling around the world to go to contests as a professional BMX bike rider? You would have thought. Exactly. <laughs> so that's that's what got me the job there. I was there for about two and a half years. Uh, incredible experience. Um, I, I, I don't think the cultural fit was there. Um, I was ready to move fast and do innovative things and to just go for it because that's just my personality. And they were like, no, what are you doing? Take a breather and just don't break the business. And I mean, I remember being in a meeting and one of the other brands um, uh, I was in charge of um, some uh, calligraphy uh, pens that they had. Uh, And I had gone to stores and I was looking at competitors and looking at all the different, you know, things that we had within the company. And they're like, all right, this meeting, this is a brainstorming meeting. There are no wrong answers. Like, let's, let's go for it. Let's, you know, like, how can we reinvigorate this, this calligraphy brand, like throw it out there and, you know, going around the table and it comes to me. And I was like, you know, I've been, I did all this research. I, th- I think if we did something innovative with the ink delivery system, because everybody was using like felt tips or something that wasn't as reusable as, as what maybe somebody might want to use. I was, so that's what I was kind of getting to. If we did something, you know, innovative with the ink delivery system, using some of the stuff that we already have for other pens, that, that might be something that differentiates us at shelf. And the head of the department, so my, my, my manager's manager, looked at me and said, if you want to do something innovative, you're working at the wrong company. <laughs> wow. in, in a brainstorming meeting where there are no wrong answers, stated at the beginning of the meeting. Yeah. And my internal dialogue was, yes, I am. So again, 
I actually really enjoyed working there, learned a ton from all my managers and a lot of people that work there in this very professional, you know, like nearly 100 year old company that's in pretty much, you know, think pens, pencils, lighter shavers. I mean, they're in every country in the world. Um, Learned a ton and and was able to kind of have that experience for whatever was next. Started looking around, spent about a year just looking, looking. um, We'll call it six months before I finally found out about Tesla Mm. and I was listening to a podcast and the interviewer was talking to the interviewee and the interviewee said something about cars and the interviewer said, Oh, that's kind of like Tesla, the all electric sports car company. And right at that point, my world changed because (laughs) what came flooding back was that 14 year old kid who, yeah. yeah, who was trying to build his own electric car, and it just wasn't—it wasn't there. I mean, we're talking now, 10, 10 or more years later. I'm twenty-five or thirty, something like that, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, what is this? And you know, I had seen things along the way in the electric car world because I still, you know, paid attention. If anything popped up, I was like, oh, oh, what's going on? Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. But it seemed like everybody who tried to build an electric car felt like it had to look like a spaceship. Yeah. You know, it was three wheels and a huge clear glass bubble that you sat inside. And just, it was like, what are you, what is this? What are you doing? No, just make a beautiful car and make it electric, right? Like what, what did I want when I was 14? I wanted an electric Ferrari or Lamborghini. I wanted an electric sports car. I wanted an electric, beautiful car. And here is a company that was making an electric sports car. So I stopped the podcast, immediately went, searched for it. You know, like teslamotors.com at the time. I think they own, they, I don't even think I know they own tesla.com now, but went there, boom, there's this gorgeous electric sports, two seat, two door sports car. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And I spent, if I wasn't at work, I spent pretty much every waking hour finding any way I could talk to them, find a connection, anything, anything, anything I could do to work there. And that was about nine months to a year of work. So the last 18 months at BIC, I spent about six months trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And then the last year going after Tesla. And I could not believe I had... There was... Not a single human in this world that was connected to that company at that point in time. Um, I mean, and it was so small, and it, you know, back then. Yeah. And um, so I just went after it and after it and after it. And no joke, Philip, my last Hail Mary was I found a guy on LinkedIn, a random guy who was an investor in Tesla. And the only connection I had to him was we both went to school in the state of Pennsylvania. He didn't (laughs) go to Penn State. He went to a different school. So I wrote to him randomly because he, we weren't connected, but he was a, a, a LinkedIn plus or, you know, whatever the, the paid for type of members were. Cause if you're not connected to somebody, you can't write to them. You got to like pay to write to them. You can only write to people you're connected to, but he paid so I could write to him. So I did. And I said, 
You went to school in Pennsylvania. I went to school in Pennsylvania. I'm trying to find some connection to Tesla. Can you help? And he wrote back almost immediately and said, Hey, I'm just an investor. I really don't know anybody there, but you know, good luck. And I was like, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> so another two weeks, I'm doing everything I can to connect with anybody. Roadblock, roadblock, brick wall, brick wall. And I go back to that guy's profile and I see that there's a guy that he's only connected to four people. He's connected to like Elon, one of the other founders and like two other, you know, two other people. And then the fifth person is this guy named Zach Edson, who is in charge of like, um, customer service at the time. And I was, I was like, well, it's been two weeks. I write the guy back in. I was like, Hey, kind of having a tough time connecting with somebody at Tesla. I see you're connected to this guy, Zach. Would you mind an intro? Again, within 30 minutes, writes me back. Yeah, sure. Happy to. No problem. Another two weeks go by. Boom. He makes a connection. Another two weeks go by. I'm on the phone with Zach. A week later, phone interview with like HR. A week later, they're flying me out to California. I have a, a panel interview. Well, I guess it's not a panel, but like I interview with five or six different people throughout the company. Um, two days, yeah, like two days later, you got the job. Wow. And and that's it from there. What was the job? The job was in customer service. So it was with that guy, Zach. He had coincidentally, and it hadn't been posted yet, but coincidentally had just gotten word that he was allowed to hire one person. He he was the head of customer service, but he was the only person in customer service at the time. Wow. So I'm yes. Really early Tesla like Aside yeah. from the, the engineering department, how many people worked on the business side on this side? Yeah. So, well, I can, I'll give a broader perspective than that. When I started at the company, there were 197 people total worldwide that made up Tesla. 197 people. I asked HR about it specifically this, my second day on the job. And I also asked them, what number employee am I of all time? Because, you know, 197 people, there have been plenty of people who worked at the company before that, right? And it took them about two weeks because they had to dig through, I guess they changed systems. So they had the, and and, uh, I'm very thankful to them that they did this. They had to look through the previous database of the people in the previous system. And when the person got back to me, they wrote it on a piece of paper. I still have it somewhere in, in my house here. They said, your employee number 343 of all time. So, and to give you a a kind of sense. So when I started, there were 197 people there. When I left about six years later, there were over 6,000 people who work at the company. I think today they're at 60,000 people or something around that number. Yeah. So, and that was four or five years ago now that, that I left. So a range, a range of things there. Um, you kind of like bounced around different departments. Yes. Um, and obviously you must've been there for, well, you definitely were there up until, you know, IPO and all that. Oh yeah. That must've been insane. Yep. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, I started off, like I said, in that customer service role. I was in that role for six or seven months. My second day on the job, I helped deliver the seventh car ever. 
And that was Rhodes because it was Rhodes through at that point in time. So uh, for those people who are only used, used to modern day Tesla vehicles, the Roadster was a vehicle that was made for Tesla, at least the rolling chassis. Um, everything that was car bits, if you will, was made by Lotus uh, over in the UK. And those rolling chassis were shipped over and they looked like complete cars, but they looked like almost off-road vehicles because the suspension was so high. And that's because the battery in particular was not in the vehicle yet to weight it down and settle it to make it look like the normal sports car. Whoa. So, um, yeah, so those cars came over. We put the battery, battery the electronics and the motor and all, uh, and all the, yeah, all the electronics bits in it. And that's the Roadster. So yeah, the seventh vehicle ever delivered. I was there with my boss, Zach, at the time, delivering that vehicle. And yeah, I was in that customer service role for six or seven months. We were delivering about one car per month from about the time that I got there. And at the six or seven month mark, they were starting to deliver maybe two cars per month. Uh, and I remember one of the other people in the office... Uh, along with Zach came to me and they're like, you have a pretty incredible background, the MBA working at BIC and your work ethic obviously shows and your, your mind for systems and process is very apparent. Uh, we wanted to see if you would be interested in an operations role. So leaving customer service and, and taking on this job of operations, because we don't know how to deliver cars. Well, Can you help take over and build that process? And I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. <laughs> and, you know, I, 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 my dream was to be in marketing at, at some company at point in time. So that was always kind of there in the background, but yeah, I, was very systems and process oriented. So I, I think I kind of fell into this role and it yeah. ended up being something that really naturally clicked with me. Yeah. So I want to take a step back. So you've gone from BIC as a product manager to a yep. customer service role. Did you not feel like, I don't know, it was like completely different. It was a bit of a setback. <laughs> I mean, product management roles are usually, you know, quite, you know, data driven. They're quite, uh, I don't know, complex. They can be complex in nature, maybe not at big, but in general, product management roles gives you a breadth of yep. everything within the business, right? Yep. But customer service is very, like, you know, binary. It's very straightforward. Yep. It's very, you know, you do this and then this is the outcome. And if this happens, you do that. Like, did you not feel like you were taking a step back in your career doing that? Or you just wanted to get in the door and you had no ego? Yeah, no, those are all really great points and things that I did, I was dealing with at the time. So, I, there's a couple pieces from going from BIC to Tesla was about a 25% pay decrease. Wow. Um, and then, yes, like, so, you know, like I said, my goal was to do something marketing related at, at, at a major company, or at least in a major way at a company. I had that at BIC. I was a product manager. Like, so I was on the marketing team. I was working on product, but that fire burning in my soul was so deep for electric cars. Like I said, tr having tried to build one at 14, that I, I had to work at Tesla. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's something I had to do. Um, it, cause I mean, it, yeah, it's hard to be like, Oh, you're a product manager. You're on the track to like, you know, to, to, to grow through, 
the, the marketing organization and whether it be a BIC or other companies, like, you know, you're at a, a big CPG company to begin with. There's yeah. like, like all these other places you can go and, and you want to do something in marketing. But I think that tells you how, how, how big that fire was burning in my soul for electric cars yeah, yeah. Um, and sustainability and the environment and all that stuff that this, and the fact that they were doing an electric sports car, I mean, it couldn't have been more spot on to what I tried to do when I was a kid, when I was 14, that I just, I had to do it. So I was like, you know, I'll sweep floors. I'll do like, I'll do whatever. And I think just in general, that approach is actually really bad. Right. Cause if you come to a company and say like, I am so into this, especially the bigger the company is, the less helpful it is that you say, I'll do whatever, like from sweeping floors to like running date, like it doesn't matter. I'll do whatever. They just don't know what to do with you. Now, the smaller the company, you know, a two, three, four, five, 20 person startup, they're like, ah, you're into it. That's cool. And oh, you have a background that looks like it might be able to help us. Okay. Like, like, and, and we see that you are, your desire is there. Like, okay, sure. Maybe. Mm. But you know, a company's 100 people, 200 people, a thousand people, 10,000 people. It, they just don't know. Nobody HR or nobody else knows what to do with you. If you, you just tell them you're passionate about the company and you'll do anything to get there. Just let me know what it is. No, you, the bigger the company gets, the more specific you have to be about what you want to do there. And I think Tesla was in a middle ground in, you know, that gray area between like somebody just being like, I'll do whatever it takes to get there and needing to be more specific. So when I saw this guy, Zach on that investor's profile, I said, I was like, Hey, I'll do whatever it takes to get there. But in just in case, like you're in customer service. So if there is something to do in customer service, like, you know, I've worked retail before I've worked, you know, as a salesperson, I've you know, I've worked in bike shops as a mechanic. Like I've done a lot of stuff where I interact directly with people dealing with customer service things. So I have enough of a background that if there is something there, you know, cause I know that's what you do, Zach, let me know. And he, and then of course that leads to, Coincidentally, I just finally, for the first time, got budget to add one person to my team. Yeah, which led to getting the job there. But yeah, like that shift from Bic to there was honestly it was super easy because I was so excited about the company. So twenty five percent pay cut, no problem. We will not help you with any funds to relocate from the East Coast in Connecticut, where I was leaving at the time, to California. No problem. I'll do it myself. Okay. Um the job position is uh, on the on the the ladder, if you will, considerably lower than what you were doing at BIC. Don't care. Like I I, I it was like I said, that passion was burning so hot. Um, and at the same time, like, like I said, the cultural fit at BIC wasn't, wasn't great. You know, I told you about the meeting, the innovation, you want to do that, go somewhere else. I was like, okay. I, I, so I was already let it ready, ready to go to the next thing and to find something so perfect um, with all the, maybe the downsides that came with it, the, the lower pay, the having to pay for my own relocation, the, the, the lower title, it, it just didn't matter to me. I just, 
to yeah. get to work on electric cars meant so much. So I must have known from doing research, like the, the, the pedigree of Elon Musk and what he had done before, um, and like you know his commitment to this company. Um, that must have been a, a driving force as well. And I guess obviously in the long run, you know, it worked out taking that pay cut, being there for that long, um, and then seeing what happened. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it was, it was very worthwhile. Yeah, and and honestly, the mystique of Elon, uh, I'm going to say, didn't it, honestly, it did not exist yet. It was, you know, looking back right at, at where we are sitting in history right now, it's like, oh, Elon, PayPal, or X.com, or whatever he was working on before they combined with with PayPal, right? Like, and SpaceX, and oh my God, like a legend. You got to you like, he wasn't that at the time. He actually wasn't even running the company at the time. When I started there, the CEO was Martin Eberhardt. Mm. And Martin and Elon got into a pretty famous, if you look back in history of the company at the time, spat about stuff because they were losing money on every single car. This was being hidden from the investors and all all the people in the company. So the company was basically bleeding to death. And, you know, Elon was just kind of an investor, just like, yeah, yeah, just just give me an electric car because that's what I want. Like he he had asked somebody just to convert a, a, a Porsche of his to electric at the time. That's all he wanted, which then led to meeting like JB and, and Martin and a whole bunch of other people, went, which led to him investing and just being like, cool. Okay. Yeah. You guys do it. I'm, I'm working on some other stuff. And then he finds out that the company is basically dying. He's pissed about it. You know, that leads to an ousting of Martin and a couple other uh, interim um, CEOs, Zeb Dory, I remember came in, uh, I think I showed up the, like around the day after Martin got kicked out. So I never even saw him in person other than like, you know, at, uh, at the service center, getting his, his car fixed once or something, you know, out on the road at one other time, that was it. Then Zeb Dory came in and he was the interim CEO and he was there for a few months or whatever, but Elon just felt like he had to do it himself. And he, he came in, but yeah, I, in terms of just being like, oh yeah, this dude did PayPal. It, I had really no clue who he was. It was like, oh cool, like he's an intense dude who looks, you know. And I didn't even necessarily <laughs> know until I got there um, how intense he could be. But um, you know, yeah, like I saw him in some of the videos, like when he got his car, which is a few months before I got the job there, and seeing him drive it up and down the back streets in Palo Alto and stuff, and. Yeah, the 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 myth of Elon did not exist at the time, and I remember I was within the first year I was there. Somebody had written a book. I've got a, a note on what that book's title was, but it was the first time where Elon showed up in this book, and I can't remember. I think it was a a, a fiction book, and they just kind of mentioned his name off the cuff, and it was one of the first times he had in, in literature he had been kind of mentioned as maybe somebody with cultural relevance. And I remember one of my, my coworkers had, had heard about it through a friend or family and bought the book. And I remember they, they placed it on Elon's desk uh, because he was only in the office once or twice a week at Tesla because he was, you know, living down in LA and doing SpaceX stuff. And he put a note on it like, Oh, you're, you know, you're in here on page, you know, one, 123 or something like that. Just, and that was the first time that, that, yeah, like I said, him showing up as a, a person of cultural relevance really showed up. And, you know, obviously that just built over the time that I was there at Tesla because then SpaceX was going on at the same time. I mean, I remember 
times within the first year or two that I was at Tesla, where if there was a SpaceX launch, everybody would stop. The IT department would, you know, wheel over a, a projector and point it at the wall, and we'd all watch the launch because it was the sister company. So there were all kinds of really neat things like that that happened. And yeah, you know, um, at the time, uh, you know, you kind of kick yourself a little bit in in, uh, in hindsight that uh, when I was negotiating my 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 pay and that type of stuff that I would have given. Uh, you know, stock options a little bit more thought and been like, um, losing 25% of my pay. And, you know, I appreciate what you gave me. So, but if you could, you know, I won't ask for any more pay, but maybe you could bump up the stock. Like that didn't happen. Cause it was just like, I just so excited to work there and I got a, a nice package. Don't get me wrong. Uh, especially, you know, looking at it now it's, it's, it's insane. Uh, how, well, things have gone, uh, which has led to me being able to do my own experiments and start my own companies and, yeah. and angel invest in other companies and that type of stuff. I mean, it, that all comes from what happened with Tesla. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, that actually makes for a good segue into angel investing. So you, you are at Tesla. It's, it's gone well. The IPOs happened. Everyone's cashed up, cashed out, whatever you want to call yep. it. And, um, you know, you decide, hey, you know, this is fun, but I, I think I want to explore this angel investing thing. So how did you get involved in angel investing? Angel investing is one of those things where it's like, you know, fairly low barriers to entry as long as you've got capital. Right. Um, and then I guess after that, it's a case of just finding where to put it and like who's the best company. Um, so like how did that whole journey start off for you? <laughs> yes. So at the, at the end of Tesla, um, again, w one of the greatest experiences of my life, it was incredible to work there. The first three and a half years, I was uh, no joke, at least a hundred hours a week, every week for three and a half years straight. And it was only the transition from Roadster to Model S where there was this period of time in between where there was almost nothing to do. And I went to like 40 hour work weeks for a few months. And then it ramped back up when Model S came out to 80 hours a week. So float around 80 hours a week, the, the, the entire rest of the time I was there. So, um, uh, not necessarily a badge of honor. I think a lot of people try and do that. Like, oh, hundred hour weeks. Yeah. Oh, hardcore, whatever. I mean, I, I, I finished up at Tesla pretty burnt out. They, they wanted me to stay. They kind of created a somewhat pseudo rotational program. The last, uh, 18 months that I was there, you know, cause there wasn't a, a, the perfect position to move me into, um, on that next rung up because people just kind of weren't leaving. And after I rotated back to something I'd already done, I was like, okay, I see how this is going to be. And I'm just, uh, you know, 80 to hundred hours a week for nearly six years straight. I, I'm, I'm, I'm toast, man. I, I need a break from this. And, you know, I'm, I'm at that point in time, I find myself, you know, even at the, what the stock price was at that point in time, $300 a share. I was like, wow, I can, I can leave my job and start, start my own company. Um, something I had also dreamed of almost my entire life. Yeah. You know, and it's at like, you know, I don't know, $2,000 a share right now, you know, if I don't include the stock split, right? So if I go, you know, to two weeks ago or whatever it was before the stock split to kind of compare apples to apples, my $300 stock when I left the company 
is now $2,000 a share. That has gone, you know, divide that by five is what the stock price is since the stock split. But anyway, you get the idea. Yeah. So the, 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 the first thing that I did when I left the company was I took about a two, two, two and a half month break. I had gotten, my wife and I had gotten married about two months before I left. Um, which I'm sure was a little unsettling for her to get married. And then I'm quitting my job two months later, but, uh, incredibly, my, my wife, Yana is incredibly supportive. And, uh, just, I just, I said, I'm not doing anything. I'm chilling. I'm going to let my mind wander. I know I probably want to start my own business, but what that'll be, I'll figure it out later. Finally figured out what that was and started at the beginning of the next year, started hitting that hard. And, just just went down that rabbit hole, started my company, Enemy Tree, worked on our, our first product, which is Mosescope, uh, what I call the next level uh, RSS reader that had a whole bunch of innovations in it. A few years later, we uh, expanded to a, um, uh, a bookmarking app, kind of like Pocket or Instapaper called Pinpoint Bookmarking that has a very unique technology in it called Pinpoint Bookmarking, which existed in Mosescope. That's where it came from. Um, and actually about two and a half weeks ago, I received the patent on that technology, which another lifelong dream, you know, check that one off the list to, to have a patent that just couldn't believe that actually worked out. And sometime during working on that company, um, always thought it was really neat. The idea of investing in other early stage companies. And the thing that really kicked it off for me was there was a company called tech shop that I found out about while I was, you know, while I was working at, um, at Tesla. I think it was actually within the first year or two that I was at Tesla. I remember I, I, I needed something. I was like tinkering with something. And I was like, Oh, I need to find like a hobby shop to get, I don't know, a piece of balsa wood or, you know, I don't know, whatever it was, something that you would find at a hobby shop. So I, you know, typed into, I think Google maps at the time and just typed in like hobby shops so that things would fall on the, on the, uh, on the map. So I could see how far things were away from me. And there was this place called tech shop. I was like, what is this? Um, and I had flashed to a news story. I had watched on the news when I was living in Connecticut a year or two before about this place called a maker space that you could go to and you just paid a membership, like a gym membership. And you had suddenly you had access to CNC milling machines and welders and lathes and saws and all this stuff. And, and so I had, I just like, wait, is that the same place I had saw in the news? And I can't confirm that it was or not, but I knew what a makerspace was, even if barely. And I remember I drove over to it and I got a tour. And I was like, you, you have got to be kidding me. Cause I, as a big tinkerer myself, especially, you know, in the bike world, I tried to, you know, I actually built bikes. A friend of mine started a bike company. I learned how to weld and I was cutting tubes and welding tubes and all that stuff for them back in the day. And just, I loved making things. So to find this place where I didn't, you know, I didn't have to spend half a million dollars to have all the equipment myself. I could spend a hundred or 200 bucks a month for a membership and have access to it. Boom. My mind exploded. And on top of that, they were a startup that was raising money and they had taken one of the early Obama era, era um, things that he was doing with startups, which allowed startups to kind of go out and raise capital 
somewhat in a different way than than normal. There were still some rules in place where you had to be an accredited investor to invest in them. I know part of that was uh, that the Obama stuff was he was trying to kind of bring down that wall so the average person could invest in a startup as well. But it was that stuff was still in place at that point in time. But you could go to their website, you could see, you could make an investment, and I was like, wow, I can do this. I can I can invest in a company like. Wow, I can do that. So, um, yeah. sometime now, you know, post Tesla, and even though I had known about them for years and years and years, this tech shop place, I had, you know, I was settled into working on my own company, but I also wanted to spread that money around a little bit to invest in companies I was really, really interested, excited about, understood wanted to be a part of in more more than just being a member to tech shop i wanted to be like part of the family almost even if it was the family of investors and you know again thankfully luckily to, to the tesla stock uh i was able to be actually an accredited investor and meet the the minimum requirements and i invested in tech shop so that was the first that was the first investment and that was the thing that really helped me understand that it wasn't it could it didn't just have to be this background thought that I had of man, it would be cool if I could do that. It was, I can actually, I can do it. So that was the one that really kicked it off for me. And uh, I think we're five investments total so far um, in terms of uh, the angel investments that I make. And I say we, my, you know, my my wife helps uh, helps me not get helps the emotional excitement that I get about these things. Uh, she, she, she helps bring it um, back to reality a, a lot of times um, while still allowing me to be excited about it because maybe there is something in it. I mean, I saw something in electric cars and Tesla. I got that one right. Um, so, you know, yeah. So she, she helps. Uh, she, she is the one yeah. with a bit more discernment, let's say. Yeah, totally. I mean, she's, you know, she's stepped, she's a step back from it. You know, I'm there like, oh my God, makerspaces. Yes, let's do this. Woo! Like I'm in, like they can't fail. And of course my first failed investment has been tech shop. They went bankrupt <laughs> about three or four years ago. Um, yeah. to, to my absolute heartbreak. I, I loved that place um, I mean, and actually tried to buy their assets. And I don't mean the, the stores and the mills and the machines, but like, the name, the trademark. I, I, I went through two years of, of trying to do that and and getting their other IP and intellectual property and stuff. I'm not going to go through that whole story, but it, it didn't work out. I mean, that, but that's how much I was into them. Like even after their failure, I was like, maybe I can at least get the I, the base IP, put it to sleep for a couple years, and then maybe see about bringing it back. And yeah. just it didn't work out, but yeah, but that was the first investment, and like I said, now we're we're five deep, and and already looking at a handful of others that in the next six to eighteen months, maybe something works out. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things that work out, there's one particular investment that you made <laughs> that I really want to talk about. So yes, you were an early investor in the beloved Gimlet Media. Yep. Alex Bloomberg, a personal hero. Yep. yep. Um, you know, incredible company, incredible success story in such a short period of time as well. Um, what they managed to achieve and are achieving uh, yep. is sort of incredible. Um, so just before the show, you actually told me the story about how you got involved with Gimlet Media. Yeah. Uh, we both kind of like nerded out on the fact that we love the startup podcast. So for those who don't know, 
How did you get involved in Game Minute Media and, and how did you come about kind of cutting that first check? Sure. And, and let's make sure that, uh, as we talked about previous to the show, that we also give a shout out to, to Matt Lieber as well, because uh, he's, along with Alex Bloomberg, he's the other uh, co-founder of Gimlet. But, um, and, and, yeah. and Nazanin as well. Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, I, I, for a long time, since before podcasts were in iTunes and part of what Apple does, uh, um, called the year before that, I had found out about podcasts and started really getting into them because this, you know, audio on demand thing, I just, it's incredible. Like no longer did I have to, you know, listen to the radio at that certain point in time, or I don't maybe even record it. I never did that, but just like saying that's an option, the ability to listen to it later, just, um, I just, I loved that because there were so many things I could never get to because you just, you know, you're at work and the show's on, you missed it. You know, you, you're, you're on the highway and you know, you're going between locations, you lose the signal, you missed it like over and over and over. So yeah. So the year before it really kind of became part of what uh, Apple offered through, through iTunes, because uh, that's where they first started um, adding podcasts in. I started getting into them and, you know, listen to two, two or three. Then it became part of iTunes and it became really easy. And now we're talking like, now I'm listening to 10 to 15. I mean, a voracious podcast listener. And so, so that's just kind of, I'm, I'm into it. You know, we're talking at the level of like being 14 and, you know, being into electric cars. Now I'm, you know, 25 to 30 and into podcasts. So many years later, you know, after the my first investment in tech shop and just having this realization of like, oh, you can just call people up and say, do you want money? Like, you know, it's not always going to work out, but you can try. So, um, yeah, I, I, I hear on some other shows or maybe through some blogs that um, Alex Bloomberg had left. I can't remember if it was This American Life or, or oh, you know, Planet yeah. Money or, or what yeah. other well, show was he, was, he was. Yeah, This American Life. Yeah, because well, he worked on all of those shows. I just can't remember what the last one he was working on that he left. But he left to start his own podcast company. And the first show he was going to do was going to be called Startup. And it was going to be a podcast about him starting his own podcasting company, How Meta, um, with the show Startup. So I remember eagerly like, oh my God, I can't wait till this comes out. I can't wait to hear this. This is awesome. I'm into startups. I have my own startup. Like I can't wait to hear about startups. Like yeah. let's let's do this. Yeah. And finally, it's you know it's going to drop on the state. Cool. Blah blah blah. Finally, found out that it does within hours of it it launching. I'm, I'm subscribed to it and I'm listening to it. And within 24 hours of listening to that first show, I I'm like, and, and they weren't even talking about taking investment. It was just the overview of what he was trying to do. And I was just like, I. I wonder if they want money. And I found an email somewhere, somehow wrote to them and was like, let me know if you need any money. I love what you're doing. I'm so into podcasts. This is so awesome. Let me know. And sometime pretty soon after that, um, Matt Lieber wrote back to me. He was the only person I ever had uh, contact with um, at Gimlet. And he was just like, hey, give us a little bit of time. But yeah, like you're in. And, and I invested. And, uh, yeah, it just, it, I can't believe how well it worked out. Um, 
you know, they obviously they were bought by uh, Spotify and are part of that world. There's, you know, I I think that's super neat there. This is a a different conversation, but there's a lot of conversations about, you know, where things are going with podcasts and how it looks like a lot of podcasts may end up behind, not even necessarily a paywall, which I wouldn't mind if they were still quote unquote podcasts, meaning just put out there that anybody could subscribe to. I, I think that's fine. And that's actually healthy, but being locked behind ecosystem doors like Spotify. So I'm not going to get into all that, but that, that is obviously a growing concern between them, between what Apple might actually do. Amazon has already started to do some exclusive podcasts. So yeah. um, a lot of these things are starting to pop up. I, I really love the open source nature of it. Uh, again, I'm fine with it being behind some type of paywall, If uh, you know whether that be all of somebody's podcasts or some where uh, maybe it's an exclusive content or whatever that gets people to subscribe. I, I think paying for things is good. Um, but yeah, being locked behind a, a specific door of a platform um, it leaves me a little uneasy, but uh, in the end, though, it was really neat to to have an exit. Um, I think that was our my third investment, and to to go through investing and to exit within a few years, it was really it was it was really neat. It was phenomenal to go through that process. It, it was really cool. Was it a significant size check that you got involved in? Like, what's your typical angel investment? check um we are i'd say between 50 and a hundred thousand um is what we will put in and and usually not a hundred thousand all at first i know that's our biggest investment right now is a little over a little north of a hundred thousand but uh, usually we'll start in at the 10 to 15, uh, sorry try that again 15 to 25 is usually um the basic investment that we'll make in a, you know, an early stage seed stage type of company, which is, which is what we focus on. Um, again, we, myself and my wife, there is no big team or anything, you know, crunching numbers or anything other than us. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty typical, an investment that, uh, we'll put in a start. And yeah, I think game that was a 12 or 13 X, uh, exit. So, I mean, it, yeah, I couldn't couldn't be. You, you, I've put. I'll say I didn't expect it, only because I have firmly put myself in the mindset of any company I invest in, I assume is going to fail, <laughs> because that's not because I want them to, obviously, but oh. because that's where I mentally need to be to say goodbye to the money. You know, that's right. I. I have to be. I have to be willing and ready to lose it. You know, there there are people, people, some people just can't handle it and they lose their mind over a company going out of it. I mean, there are horror stories about investors and just going after and attacking the entrepreneurs and suing them and this and that. And, you know, it doesn't happen often, thankfully, but some people just don't either don't get it or don't want to get it. And, you know, like, sure, if there's additional level of due diligence that needs to be done there to be like, did anything shady happen? You know, is is, is a founder leaving with a, a ton of money because they did something weird in the background? Like, yeah, let's check on that. Let's push hard. Sure. That's also very rare. Um, but in the end, you know, you burn through all this cash. You hope it works out. You hope you hit the market and the timing right. You hope you did the right things to raise enough money to have enough runway. 
Um, that's another thing that I'd say I'd, I'd learned very strongly at Tesla. Um, we made a lot of mistakes, mm. a lot of expensive mistakes up front. But Elon and the team, the executive team, were always ahead of it, knowing that we always needed more runway. They were always very smart about it. So even though we were, in, in some cases, probably burning through cash two to 10 times faster than we could have if made the just right, perfect choice for certain things, whether it be in uh, a, a backend system that did something or where to open a store or employees to hire, how many to hire, how many not to hire. Sure. Like looking backwards, it's always easy to be like, that was, that's the decision they should have made. That's the decision they should have made. But when you're in it, a lot of times you don't know and you end up burning through that money. So having that runway is crucial. So yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. A lot of startups, you know, it's, you don't know that. Uh, anyway, you get the idea. On, like uh, on the practical side, I mean, obviously Gimlet, like, that was an incredible success. Uh, yes. I mean, you just invested just out of share interest and excitement about the space in general. So when it comes to, you know, the first two examples you've given me of the investments you've made have come out of just genuine interest. So is that kind of like your criteria for investing after it goes with your wife, I guess? Uh, sure. You say just like initially, like I'm interested in this space. I would do this product. I would be a customer. So I want to invest. Or is there anything else that goes into that? Yeah, there's two, two factors. And, and I, I'd say, you know, um, number one is, is the product or the idea itself. I have to be into it. You know, this is kind of very, uh, Warren Buffett philosophy. If you don't understand it, don't, don't invest in it. Like, because the likelihood that you're going to think, you know, what's going on, but you're wrong is pretty high and you're probably going to get burned. So, you know, he classically talks about, you know, investing in Coca-Cola or, you know, plenty of other companies. Like he gets it, he can understand it. Like he's, and, and maybe he's even into it. Right. So that's the approach that I go with. Um, I understand electric cars having tried to bi literally build my own when I was younger at a very deep fundamental level. So, you know, I, Tesla wasn't necessarily an investment, but it was an investment of me and my life and my time to go work for them. Oh, really? So now in terms of the investments that I make tech shop, the, the, uh, the maker spaces, I believe it, I'm into it. So thus I invested. Um, but the second, the, a very, very, very close second place. And sometimes even call it tied with first, but I'll, I'll call it second because if I'm not into the idea, I'm, I'm not going to go for it. But that very close second place is the founders and the team. Um, I have to have confidence that they're going to be able to pull it off. You know, it could be the best idea I've ever heard. It could be somebody pitching me the next Apple. But if, if I don't get a sense that the, the people with the idea can pull it off, I'm, I'm not going to invest. You know, I, and it doesn't always have to be, you know, some version of pedigree, you know, did they go to Princeton, Stanford, Penn State, this or that or whatever, you know, University of Illinois, you know, any like top public or private institution that, you know, cranks out really great people and talent. Um, you know, maybe it's somebody who's got this just incredible intuition, but, you know, maybe I see that their co-founder is somebody who maybe doesn't have the pasture, just they're, they're kind of there for the ride. And I can see that 
the dynamics there may pull the company apart. I mean, I'm really deeply looking at the founders and the team, like I said, and that's a, a very, very strong second place. So if I don't have both, I don't invest. And if I only have one and that one is the strongest I've ever seen in my life, I won't invest. Because it's got it to me, it has to take both. And the idea again, it's it's something that I, I, I yes, I am interested in. That's what you know. That's what alerts me to it. You know, I read. You know, I TechCrunch is part of my newsfeed every day. I mean, there's a a billion companies that you know go past my eyes every day that I'm just like, oh, that's neat. Oh, that's cool. You know, you're learning little tidbits along the way. Yeah. But the ones that will really stick out. So for example, like let, I'll go through, I've got five investments to go through real quick. So tech shop, that was my first and my first failure. Oh, well, again, because I was in the mindset of I'm going to, I'm going to lose this money when it happened. It's sad. It's disappointing, but I move on. Second investment I made was in uh, stack lighting, which I believe is now stack healthcare. That was actually a, a couple of friends of mine from Tesla who left and went on to do that, um, putting sensors and light bulbs to do a whole host of things. And right now, uh, they've actually transitioned specifically to healthcare because they're seeing um, the in-home care market as a really big one and the sensors being able to help detect. And we're not talking about a camera pointing at somebody. We're talking about other sensors that through machine learning can tell if there's been a if somebody you know somebody has fallen or something like that that uh, people can get help. So um, they've gone through some restructurings, but they're still they're still cranking along. So we'll see what happens. Um, third one was Gimlet Media. We already talked about that. Had an exit. Super cool. And that was because of my. And the first one was you know. I like lightings and electronics and I like the people. So that thus and met the two criteria. That's why I invested in stack Gimlet. People are amazing. I'm super into podcasts. That was an easy one. Um, Next was a company called Maxwell. This is when I was actually living in the, in Longmont, Colorado, uh, right next to Boulder and Boulder's got a really strong startup scene there. And uh, went to a, a startup pitch thing for um uh tech stars actually it was their pitches before their official pitches and there were all these companies presenting and uh, this one company presented called maxwell which does a lot of back-end stuff on the financial side for loans for mortgages in the mortgage industry and my wife and i had just bought our house and it was a freaking nightmare so it was actually something that i had done a lot of research on because i was like maybe this will be the next thing that I work on because I was so dissatisfied with that process, the the loan process and just mm. the whole thing was so frustrating. So at that point in time, they present and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. They're, they are building the company that maybe I would have never gotten to it, but it was on my list, uh, you know, top three of maybe the next thing that I'll work on. Talked to them very soon after the uh, the pitch and said, I want to put money in and met them. The team was phenomenal. And I was like, boom, meets my two criteria. Boom, I'm invested. Uh, and then the last one, the most recent one is in uh, a company called Core. And they are a, <laughs> very hard, but they're doing hardware, software, and service all around meditation. So they've got this this ball that has some sensors on it that you hold on to um, to get 
feedback of heart rate and a whole bunch of other things mm-hmm. that coordinates to their so that's the hardware the software is their app where that has all the meditations on there and on top of that they have a service call it peloton like where if you want uh, I don't think the live classes are up yet, but that's something that they're going to have sometime in the near future. But every day there are new classes that they have, uh, meditations where somebody takes you through anything from as short as five minutes to as long as half an hour. So hardware, software service, that's a, that is a boatload to take on. But I'm super into meditation, uh, thanks to suggestion, something I wanted to get into for a very long time. And through you know listening to things like the Tim Ferriss's podcast and him constantly talking about meditation, it finally pushed me over the edge to get into it. False start after false start after false start of just trying to do it regularly. And then wouldn't you know it, it took a physical object to get me to do it regularly. That was the core, the core meditation trainer. And I had a buddy who was working there who previously was on the iPod team back in the day at uh, Apple. Uh, and had done a whole bunch of things in between and was there at this company. And who, so that was the in for me and I invested in them and super awesome. I, I meditate almost every day now because there's this physical object sitting next to my bed that I don't have to forget to open the app or whatever. It's staring at me and I'm like, I can find at least five minutes today. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's been great. So those are the investments that I've made. And again, it was the idea and the team every single time. And you know, there's a list 10 times longer than this of, of companies that I haven't invested in because they had one, they had one, but not the other, or they didn't have either, honestly. Uh, and that's mostly people who come and pitch, have pitched to me directly and found me through LinkedIn or any other, other way. But yeah. Interesting. So there's a wide range there. Or kind yep. of nothing, quite sector agnostic as well. Um, yes. And then in terms of like the process, so you've identified the company, identified the team, and then what is it? Is there is there a lot of due diligence from uh, your and your wife's side? Um, or is it kind of like, you know, you've had the discussion, you met the team, you're not really focused on like metrics and revenue and like now, kind of like, look, I'm an angel. You know, I'm quite early. I'm not expecting too much. Like, what, what does that look like? Yeah, I think in general, uh, very early stage, um, idea stage, you know, seed stage, angel investment stage of the company, the the story, and the so the idea, but like really the story all around that and the team, and this not just for me, but I think generally from what I've heard for years and years and years. So this is not unique to me. Those the early. The earliest stages of the company, it's about the story and the ability to tell that story and to really have something compelling and then the team to back it up to that's that's how you make the investment. You know, my double check is with my wife because she is usually stepped back from it all and is like, okay, let's think clearly about this and we'll look at some other elements and look around and you know, do a larger view of the the industry and competitors and all that type of stuff. Not a ton on financials because there just isn't other than knowing like, so for example, we'll take core, right? It's the last one we talked about the meditation space. So um, there's Headspace and Calm, two companies that are absolutely killing it out in the meditation space. Mm. Um, Calm, I tried myself. I, I paid for a year of their uh, medit- you know, the, the meditation service. So I had access to the, the full uh, suite of all their meditations. And again, I just... 
it being an app, I just, I couldn't, I could, I just never ended up being able to do it regularly. And it wasn't until there was that, that physical piece of hardware that gave me feedback of how I was doing with my, my meditations. Um, and, and just literally having something staring at me every day on my desktop or or my, my side stand of of the bed beckoning to me, Hey, you can find five minutes today, buddy. Take a break. It wasn't until then that 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 they became interesting to me. So reviewing all that stuff, the industry, everything else that was going on, that's that second check that happens with my wife. But as long as she doesn't see any red flags, and as long as I am bought into the idea, the story, and the team to make the investment, it's not until usually you start talking about um, Series A that... Now, now it's getting serious, like really serious, like really big checks. That's when you start digging in to hardcore financials. So any follow on investment. So for example, Maxwell, they're kind of in that territory. That's, you know, I invested on the idea and the entrepreneurs. That's how they got my money to start off with angel investment, seed stage, all that stuff. Now they're really growing. They're, they're, they're kicking some ass. And so they're doing, you know, more raises and more raises slowly over time. And, and now we're getting into, okay, now, you know, and, and as an investor, I have access to their financials. So now I'm looking at that. I'm looking at other competitors as well, uh, more deeply, like my money's already in there, but now it's a matter of, am I going to invest in the next round? And in terms of Maxwell in general, they are just so hitting it out of the park and so unique in what they do. And actually kind of to connect some background dots. Um, one of the founders and the, and the, the current CEO, um, John Passanon, um, he was at PayPal before he started this. So in terms of his background and financial acumen and all that type of stuff, I mean, and then a connection to, you know, Elon and Tesla through this, you know, random world of connections that we live in. That was kind of a, a nice, a, a nice, another piece of background check. Um, in those early stages when I invested, but yeah, now more and more serious stages, you know, taking on bigger and bigger checks and investments of money. Now we start to take it more seriously, but I think that's, that's pretty close to what is normal at the different stages. You know, again, early on, it's the investors in the story. So early stage seed stage, that's, that's really where you're making your decisions. And then, you know, maybe a little bit before um, series a, but definitely at series a, now you're really getting into hardcore due diligence, but yeah. that's, I, I'm only investing in, in that stage as a follow on investment. So most of my stuff is focused around the idea and the entrepreneurs with the, the clear headed double check of my wife uh, before making the investment. And do you, I guess, do you encourage startups to, to take additional investment? Um, obviously I know out in the Silicon Valley, <laughs> the coast, you know, there's so much capital flying around, but are you, I mean, and obviously you're, your whole um, like ethos with your own companies is like bootstrapped ideas, right? So correct. Do you do not do you encourage them to like figure out how to get to profitability or revenue a lot sooner without taking additional capital, or are you so far removed from the process up to that point that you don't even it doesn't even matter? Yeah, it depends on the company. So uh, in general, I don't want to say I'm averse to investment, but for my own stuff, fully bootstrapped, it's me messing with ideas, doing experiments, seeing where this might go. If somebody, if something had legs, 
personally, I would try and bootstrap and do it myself. Um, there are some ideas that it seems like, and, and you know, um, Reed Hoffman, you know, he's got his podcast, you know, founder of LinkedIn and that type of stuff. And, and he always talks about taking as much as much money as you can get basically, because again, there's that runway discussion that we had earlier. You never know when something comes up, whether that's something bad that you just have to white knuckle your way through because it's so bad, or there's an opportunity where it's like, man, if we acquired this company, suddenly we have access to all these additional users and this and that, or whatever the situation might be. And that's going to, you know, hockey stick your growth. So it's, it's more situational. Um, on occasion with some of these companies that I've invested in, they will ask that question. What do you think? Um, uh, generally it, it depends on where they are in the process and what it looks like, what it might look like with and without investment. Generally I default to trying not to, to, um, because it just, there are, you're adding layers of complexity at that point in time, um, whether it be with advisors or just the amount of investors you have, which is the number of emails which start to exponentially increase that a founder has to deal with, especially through rougher times. So, But you might not have to go through those rougher times if you get investment to begin with. So it's all situational. No, yeah, no, that makes, uh, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and I want to switch gears quickly just before we, we work towards wrapping up. Um, mm-hmm. Just in regards to your own ideas and the um, products that you're, you're working on, which you mentioned earlier on the show, um, my question was, how do you decide which ideas to work on and, and like, how do you prioritize your time? And then how much do you personally invest in each idea? Mm. The uh, idea, picking ideas always tough, right? Because they're like your children and it's like, you know, which child do you love more than the other? And you, you never want to say you love one more than the other. But you do have to, yeah, you do have to pick. And and luckily ideas are not children. So you, you can actually pick. And this was the thing that I struggled with, you know, after I left Tesla and after I took that rest break, it was, what do I want to work on? And I've, I've had a list for I don't want to say my whole life, but for a really long time where I would jot down ideas like, Oh, what a cool startup idea that would be, or what a cool invention that would be. And it's just, it's, it's probably 200 items long. So that's what I ended up combing through. Um, when it came time to, you know, that I wanted to work on my own thing. And I just kind of kept reducing the list. Like, you know, some things are very easy. Like, no, I'm not going to work on No, no, no. Like, like, yeah, that's neat. But no, no, no I'm not, not going to invest the time or the money in that. That's just like a fun thing that I wrote down. So you start whittling down that list. And then in the end, it came between like three or four things. And the last question that I asked myself personally was which one of these ideas... I guess there were two questions which one of these ideas am I going to be most excited to work on and which one of them do I think is going to have the most positive impact? And that led me to uh, working on the very first product, which was that Mosescope uh, RSS newsreader. And kind of the idea with that was, you know, what, 
RSS readers are just are they are they're just RSS readers. And and this was in the time of basically every like literally literal stories being written. RSS is dead. That I'm like trying to go in and and do something with it because I I didn't feel like it was dead. And uh, I think with the rise of podcasts in particular, it has seen a severe resurgence because podcasts are just it is RSS instead of delivering you know the next greatest blog from somebody's blog to you. Uh, in your RSS feed, they're delivering you audio content. So it's literally the same thing. It is RSS. So we tried to innov. I thought, you know, there were things that I wanted to do with, um, um, the quality or understanding your, your news better that might be coming into your feed, but that was going to take so much effort that I was like, what can I do now? That's innovative. That hopefully will get people interested in the platform. Hopefully we start to build, grow some cash to work on this other thing to, you know, to work on fake news and how to disambiguate stuff and get, you know, help people get clarity on facts versus fiction. Um, so to get to that, all right, what are the, some of the innovative things that we can do there? And, um, two things that I think are pretty innovative with the RSS reader, the Mosaiscope was, um, email subscribe where we allowed, gave people a unique email address so that they could subscribe to things like, I mean, they could do whatever they wanted to, but it was mainly set up so you could subscribe to newsletters and either by subscribing to them directly with this unique email address so that they, they just end up because they're like blog posts anyway, you know, um, these newsletters might as well have them show up in your in your news feed, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't clutter your inbox. Or you could set it up to where you can subscribe to it with your email address, but then do, you know, set up a smart folder and have it, you know, a forward, you know, forwarded on to your specific e- uh, your email in Mosaiscope and get your stuff there. Yeah. So that was the one unique idea. There wasn't any, you know, it's email. So there wasn't anything really patentable about that, but you know, something that was innovative in the space. Uh, and then the other one was this pinpoint bookmarking idea, which was unique enough that uh, I thought we could, might be able to get a patent. And that was, you know, four or five years ago, starting the process on that. to wow. now, like I said, two and a half weeks ago, finally getting the patent uh, on that idea, which allows you to bookmark down to the word, down to the letter, down to the, the period exactly where you left off. I mean, you just, you, you know, use your fingers on your phone and, and highlight a word like you want to copy and paste. And that little bubble that pops up says, you know, copy or paste. You just go over to where it says bookmark and boom, a big arrow goes, it highlights the word and you come back a day, a week, a month, a year later, and you can pick up exactly where you left off. And, you know, especially the longer the content is, you know, the longer form, you know, did I leave off at paragraph three or paragraph 13, you know, and it's, you go back and you try to read something a week later and you're like, Oh, everything sounds the same. You get annoyed. And I know for myself, I I'll just stop reading. Cause I'm just like, I, I got the basic gist, I guess. Like I wanted to read this article, but damn it. And those frustrations is what led to that idea. And, um, so like I said, got the patent on that. That's super awesome. And have actually seen a lot of other RSS readers, I'd say, steal uh, jokingly i'll say that the the um the email subscribe idea and add that them to their products uh, i saw one of the biggest rss readers out there just add add it to their reader i think 3 days ago so oh. just the fact that i've had an impact on the industry even if nobody really knows it i i'm really proud of that and that that's been great so um that's awesome. 
So, yeah. What were the other pieces of that question? I <laughs> talked, I think maybe long on one, one aspect instead of the others, but um, just the last one is, is like, how much, how much do you invest? Do you invest? Cause I, I would assume you're not, a, uh, that's right. You're not programming yourself. Are you? I am not. Yeah. And that's been one of the hardest parts. Um, but luckily uh, the early stages of the company, it was probably six to nine months of beating my head against the wall, trying to find programmers. It was just, it was a nightmare. Um, it's like a secret society that nobody wanted to let me in. Um, I, you know, I was literally like, I, I was so frustrated at the end of that time period that I was having conversation with my wife. Like, should I literally go back to school for the next two to five years to, and whether that be, you know, a short boot camp program, but then working, you know, for the next two to three years on, at a company to really build my chops so that I can do it myself. I mean, and that was so frustrating. Mm. I was like, I don't want to do that. And then going out and looking potentially for a technical co-founder, which, you know, is something that gets suggested a lot. And I think that is really good advice. I just, I didn't, I didn't want to do that, you know, probably to my detriment, I'll admit that. And that's fine. Um, but I was lucky enough. I, I found through some platform, um, where they connected me to a whole bunch of different developers that I just had to whittle down and decide who I wanted to work with. Ended up working with an incredible, it was a two person team out of Wisconsin. I was literally down to two last developers, a team in Transylvania and a team in Wisconsin. And for a whole host of reasons, you know, from time zones to, you know, language misunderstandings and whatever, I was, I was hoping for the team closer to home Mm -hmm. and they really came through and put together a really good bid and they were amazing, amazing guys to work with. Uh, The one guy did a lot of the front end and design stuff. The other guy did all the back end stuff and made all my stuff come to life. They are part of a larger... They got bought out of a year or two ago by a, a larger local company uh, called Acumium. And th- they're part of that now. And uh, working with an even bigger team to do even greater things. I, I don't work with them directly anymore. I Actually, because all my stuff is kind of... Or I'm working on the next phase of, of my products, which is hopefully trying to get them acquired, especially with the addition of acquiring the patent and knowing that generally these experiments and ideas were more um, features than than full products that people might really you know want as part of their lives, that these features, I think, and I'm hoping again with that uh, with the patent that they'll become cool. part of a larger company. Uh, you know, it would be great if you know Apple News or Google News or something like that could use it. In particular, you know, the patent with pinpoint bookmarking could be some part of that, but. Yeah, in the early days, in terms of spending the money, um, yeah, when you're when you're spending your own money, uh, that is that is a that is that is very hard. I spent quite a bit of money <laughs> to get these products out there. Um, it was pretty expensive. Uh, you know, patents. Getting a patent is not cheap either. So add that to that was three and a half years of you know uh, legal expenses to get that thing you know to across the finish line, which. At most points during that process, it looked like it might not actually work out. So it's it's an absolute joy that it did. But you know, um, not putting the family in jeopardy and yet still spending what it took to get it to reality and out there in the world. Um, 
without kind of stating a specific number, I'd say that's, that's the balance that I, I, I was walking the tightrope on in terms of, um, getting my own ideas and products out there into the world. So it was a, it was a good, it was a good chunk of money. Uh, I'll say that for sure. Well, hopefully, uh, you'll be able to recruit that. Um, okay, John, we could talk for hours. Um, yes. So listen, rapid fire questions. You know, the drill. Yep. Answers. Bish, bash, bosh. Yep. So what has or who has been your biggest inspiration? Yeah, biggest inspiration. I wouldn't say that there's there's actually one. Uh, I think, you know, I could say like this, everything from Steve Jobs to my mom. Uh, which is all true, but there, I don't, I have never really had a single singular person who's been an inspiration. It's just a lot of accumulations of, in particular with podcasts, listening to, you know, even some of the interviews that I've listened to recently preparing for this interview, um, on your podcast and just those people or, or people on other podcasts or, you know, um, you know, Elon and, and many others at Tesla while I was there and just picking up on all these little things over time, I I would say there's not one central person who's been, you know, the, on the pedestal inspiration that I constantly look to. It's a, it's definitely a broader group of people that over time, I've just listened to their, their insights and tried to integrate them into the decision making that I make for myself. So it's it's a lot of people. Uh, okay, favorite podcast? <laughs> oh man, favorite podcast. This is tough. I'll say offhand, it's probably Back OS Ken. It's I've been listening to him for over ten years. It's a kind of a, a Apple Mac fanboy podcast. So that's for sure. But there's. I am such a big podcast person. You know, it depends on my mood. It depends on you know what I'm interested in in that day, week, month, year. Uh, uh, we talked about this a little bit before, but I'll give you the quick rundown of my top podcasts. Uh, you know, like I said, oh, it's Ken probably being being the top one, but the Bruce Lee podcast, How I Built This, Startup by Gimlet, Tim Ferriss Show, Uncivil, which was another phenomenal podcast by Gimlet, uh, The Verge Cast, Armchair Expert. Derek Scissor, Sivers uh, podcast, Exponent, which is a great one um, for thinking about strategy stuff. Marketplace, Reply All, another great Gimlet podcast, yeah. and Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell. Those those are are the top of the top for me, That's and awesome. I listen to more than that. <laughs> so, yeah. like I said, I'm a big podcast guy. Yeah, favorite book. Yeah, same one. This is uh, they're always hard, and I think you you'll get a lot of it's depends if you didn't already get that from uh, from us talking. Um, <laughs> it, de- it it depends on what's going on in my life or what's going on. So I'll give you the kind of the top one in terms of the Tim Ferriss answer of you know he asked people what's the book you have gifted most to people, and that yeah. one is something called the Unwritten Laws of Business. And that one is just, it's written from, I think, an engineering perspective of here are really, if you want to be dialed in your career, um, it really helps you understand what the top few things are to really wrap your head around what it takes to be, I'd say, a good employee, uh, which then leads to being a good entrepreneur. So that's the top one there. But, you know, other other ones in terms of uh, wrapping my head around trying to declutter my life is one called uh, uh, the Paperless Field Guide. 
if there's some other, you know, inspirational story about the true capability of humans, Miracle in the Andes was amazing. If I wanted to okay, say well, something okay. and yeah, think about stuff, we got too many books. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll stop there. Then, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. There's just so, so many. Favorite Instagram or Twitter account? I do not do social media. Perfect. Uh, you're not missing out on anything. I can promise you. Yeah. Uh, what do you wish you could do that you currently can't do? It sounds like coding. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I'd say, you know, I mean, the, the joking answer uh, would be fly. But, um, you know, I think in reality, you know, I talked about ADHD earlier on. That one in particular has hindered my ability to be good with names. It has always bothered me forever. You know, I have an incredible memory for the most obscure things. But damn it, if remembering people's names has been one of the biggest challenges of my life. And I, I've honestly... Like, oh, there's that, there's that guy, or there's that lady, or, or oh, uh, what's their name? What's their name? Oh, I want to talk to them. I have a question. Or there's something. And how many times in my life I haven't actually gone and talked to somebody because I couldn't remember their damn name. So that one in particular really, really gets to me. So that if I could have one, that would be easy. That one right there. Yeah. Advice would give to your 21-year-old self? I, I kind of honestly almost wouldn't give myself any advice because I don't, not sure I'd be, I'd end up where I am right now, which I'm, I'm pretty fond of, honestly. Mm. But generally, uh, you know, if I look back through, if there's some type of thread, um, I'd say education and um, exploring things that you're interested in. And, and, and that's, that's always kind of been there. So I think that's, I'm, I'm glad I had that foundation of a good education and I'm glad that I haven't held other than, you know, not knowing a name or two and holding myself back from questions. I've been pretty open to experimenting and exploring and checking things out. And that's been really helpful. So maybe to a, a larger audience, people are maybe want something that they could say to themselves and turn it. That might be it. But yeah, I think, I'm not sure I would even give that advice to myself if I could just because, you know, it's, it's worked out. Yeah. Uh, if you had a hundred dollars only in your favorite city, what would you spend it on? I would probably jump in a cab and I'd say specifically a cab over uh, any of the ride sharing or any of that type of stuff these days. Uh, somebody who's really, they spend their time to get to know places and just say, where should I go? And stop at the, however many places that I could stop to really understand the culture and the people and the flavor of, of that city. That's, I think that would be incredible. I, I love getting to know people and places and really the real, the real place, not just, Oh, I went to the Eiffel tower. Like, no, like where can I really learn about Paris and France and, and the people and the culture and, and whatever city that might be in the world. I think that's how I'd spend my hundred bucks. Yeah. What's the one thing startups should ignore in the early days? <sighs> one thing. Yeah, it depends on so many factors. I don't think there is one thing. So I'd say instead of saying, what's the one thing that you should ignore? I'd say the one thing that you probably should invest your time in, this goes back to kind of education. It's the um, developing critical thinking and problem solving. Because every startup's different. Some need money, some don't. Some need advisors, some don't. You know, Some need to focus on marketing, some don't. So... I, I don't think there's a real good blanket answer for that. And I think making sure you're developing critical thinking and problem solving. So when you're faced 
with that question yourself, you might not see the answer immediately, but you'll be able to get to it with a little bit of time because you've developed those core skills. Okay, that's good. And finally, what's your, I guess, what's your vision for your company um, or your, yeah, like what's, what's the vision of where you are right now? Like you're in a really interesting position. Uh, you're an angel. Yeah. Uh, you've got some ideas you're working on. Like it's usually quite a really straightforward question for like a CEO founder. It's like, oh, I want an IPO, but um, yep. where, where are you right now? What's your vision for where you are? Yeah, I'll split it up into to two groups. One is with my company and one is with my angel investing. With the company, kind of like I spoke about just a little bit ago, getting the products, if possible, to uh, to a larger audience, which I think at this point in time, especially having acquired the patent, hopefully maybe finding a, a good fit uh, through some type of acquisition and, and helping them through the transition and then getting to work on the next set of ideas. Uh, for myself. So for the company, that's what I would like to do there. With the angel investing, it's finding more cool companies to invest in and advise and help them. And and maybe even you know in a 5 to 10 year scale of time, see some exits from some of those. That would be really cool. So, you know, seeing a company go from nothing or very small to an exit, whether that be going public or just, just being profitable uh, to getting acquired is... Having seen a, a small piece of that with Gimlet has been really exciting. So on the angel investment side, that's what I'd say on there. Keep building the portfolio. Awesome. John, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, if people want to yeah. get in contact with you, if you, like you said earlier, you're pretty low key. Um, yeah. If people do want to get in contact with you, how and what is the best way to do that? Yeah. Like, like I said, I don't really do social media. I have little pieces there, but nothing I, I really do anything with. So best one would be, I'd say through uh, the enemy tree, tree site. So if you go to enemytree.com slash media, there's a, a contact media button there with a form, fill that out. It'll come to me. I'm, I don't really, I, I'm not going to guarantee I'll respond uh, because just, there's a lot of stuff going on. But uh, if anybody wanted to reach out, It'd be cool to hear hear from uh, anybody who was interested. So that would be probably the best way to to give it a try. Sounds good, John. Thank you so much for coming on. Awesome, Phil. Thank you so much for having me. This was really really fun to spend some time with you. Great, likewise. Just want to say another huge thank you to John for coming on the show and really sharing so much energy and incredible stories about his journey so far. Um, I really loved how passionate he was about trying to build that electric car to how passionate he was about BMX bike biking. And he is still passionate about BMX biking, which I found fascinating. Um, I can just about ride a bike, but that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's another topic for another time. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please like and subscribe on the Apple Podcasting app or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. They honestly do go a long way. Until next time, guys, keep grinding.